0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries, this is the Gary Talks About God podcast. If you have your Bibles, if you would take it and open them to Matthew 28, Matthew 28. Excuse me for one second. Are my glasses back there because I can't see? I ended it by saying I can't see, <laughs> so I don't know why y'all are all laughing. Um, I, I've got them, y'all can stop looking, John's still looking for them. Um, all right, Matthew twenty twenty eight. actually it will be in 27, uh, so finishing up our series on Offered Up this morning, our Christ, or Easter study through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and I'm thankful for that, and you know, it's, it's amazing. I know every Sunday we come and we celebrate the risen Savior, and I know every Sunday that churches and believers around the world celebrate Christ. There's always something a little bit more on Easter Sunday to know that this morning uh, believers all around the world, uh, including us here at Red Bank, um, are joined in worship just proclaiming the simple truth that Jesus Christ is risen that we do not serve a dead God, that we serve a risen Savior who defeated death and through His defeating of death gives us life. And we are so thankful for that. So as we conclude this morning, we will, of course, be looking at the resurrection and what Matthew has to say about it. So let's read Matthew 27, verse 57, all the way down to the end of Matthew Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, "'Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, "'after three days I will rise. "'Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, "'lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. "'He has risen from the dead.'" and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and set on it, And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. As we read those verses, and you hear them, and we we think on the resurrection, and I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say this because I ruined Christmas, but when you read this account, I want you to notice something. I think it's really important. This really isn't a detailed account of the resurrection, And you go, well, Gary, you just read you know, for five minutes what sounded to me like a detailed account of the resurrection. It's a detailed account of everything that took place around the resurrection. But when you look at the actual resurrection, just as Matthew, with an economy of words, said he was delivered up, said he was crucified. When you come to Matthew, what he says is he's risen. We don't know the how. We don't know the when, you know, like as soon as the tomb was sealed. uh, Three days later, when on that third day did he he come up out of the... We don't know any of that. All we know is he has. Because for Matthew, the most important part, again, is not the how. The most important part of the crucifixion for Matthew was not the how. It was not how does crucifixion work. It was that he was. That he was crucified for our sins. So, when we get in following Matthew's train of thought, when we get to the resurrection, the most important part of the resurrection for Matthew is not the how, all the details that we want to know, right? We would like, to, who, who wouldn't like to have the video inside the tomb, right? We want to see how it played out. We, we live in such a, a world where everybody records everything, and I, I know a lot of you think. Uh, That's really important to you for us to see all your videos and some, you you know, but sometimes it's just not. But we're in that society now where we record everything. We want to see everything. We wanted to see that. How will that work? How did it work? Right? Because we have all the other accounts in, uh, in, in the Gospels of Mark and Luke's account and John's account. And, you know, we got in the, the, John about the, the burial clouds and the the we, we want to see that. What did he really do? Did he get up? Did he, did he fold them up, lay them out neatly? Did he straighten the, the sheets before he left the tomb? For Matthew, that's not the point. Matthew's whole point is he has risen as he said that he would, defeating death. So, after he was crucified for our sins, he is now raised up for his honor and his glory so that we too can be raised in justification. That is Matthew's central focus of the resurrection. At the same time, when we read the accounts, we can see several things in the account that Matthew records for us that is important. For instance, he tells us that the resurrection was predicted. He he again comes to the point that everything that is happening, again, the theme of the series, everything that is happening is because it is God's plan and it has been predicted. So we read about that. Jesus is is on the cross. He he, he has been crucified. He he died and he he is up on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, hey, I don't want to leave his body on the cross. Can I take it down and can he be buried? Now, that's an unusual request. Usually, one of two things would happen to people who were crucified. They would either be left on the cross until there was nothing left of them, and I'll let you figure out how that happens, or they would be taken down and taken over and thrown basically into a trash heap. The fact that Pilate allows Joseph To take his body is, again, God's will and God's plan being carried out. Joseph says, can I have his body? And he's going to go out and he's going to bury him. He says he places him in a new tomb. And he put it in his tomb. He he, he knows where it is. Right? I know a lot of people are going, well, they they, they went to the wrong tomb. Any of y'all ever go to the wrong tomb? Tomb when you go to the cemetery, anybody ever walk up and just you know you're wow this is this is not who I thought it was I'm you know three rows and four graves over you don't go to the wrong tomb you know where your loved ones are buried. you walk right there. so Joseph comes, takes him, puts him in the tomb and this is what's really interesting. who testifies? To the prediction that he will rise again. Is it the disciples? Right? The disciples aren't anywhere to be seen. Right? The disciples have fled the scene. After they had the Last Supper with Jesus, the disciples leave. We don't see them hide nor hair. They're gone, they're hiding. How do we know again that this was predicted? It comes from the words of the people who don't want him to rise again. Right? If you look down in verse 63, it is the chief priest and the Pharisees. Hey, that imposter said he is going to rise in three days. He, he's predicted that this was happening. Now, we, we know those fishermen and we know those tax collectors and they're cunning individuals. They would go and try to steal the body so it makes it look like what he said would happen would come to pass. Let us go and 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 seal the tomb so that they can't take his body. We we don't want that prediction to come alive. Now, there's something else that's happening here that's really interesting. The chief priests and Pharisees should not be at Pilate's temple. It's the Sabbath. They shouldn't be there they are risking defilement of themselves to make sure that this doesn't happen. right? When you look in verse 62, it says it's the day after preparation. So Bible trivia time. What would be the day after preparation if you're a Jew? You have the day of preparation, and the next day is the what? It's the Sabbath. But this isn't any Sabbath, is it? This is what would be called a high Sabbath, which is the Sabbath that occurs during Passover. If there was one Sabbath that was more holy than any other Sabbath, it would be the Sabbath during Passover. Yet, this most holy day for the most holy people in all of Israel who don't want to be defiled, who can't be defiled because then there's a period of cleansing before they can go perform their duties. They, they wouldn't want to face any type of defilement. They spent all day preparing for the Passover, getting the leaven out, getting the lamb, doing everything they should. But on the Passover, on the Sabbath, they're willing to defile themselves because they don't want to see if that prediction that He will rise in the third day would actually occur. Instead of being in Pilate's house, they should be leading all of Israel in worship that the Messiah has come. Yet they've completely and totally missed it. And they're willing to risk defilement if it means that they can seal the tomb so that Jesus can't come out. And as they approached Pilate, did you see how they addressed him? He said, Sir, that's the word for Lord. That's the word for Lord. It's a great truth here. You call somebody Lord. Or you say Jesus is Lord, or you say somebody else is Lord. They refuse to say Jesus is Lord, but they're willing to say that Pilate is Lord. And they're willing to do anything, seal the tomb, put a guard, do whatever they can to keep this prediction from happening. Well, you and I know that so far in this study, they've lost. <laughs> Every time they've tried, they have absolutely lost. And this happens again, just as it was predicted. You can go back and read like Psalm sixteen ten. You can go back and read Psalm 22. Go back and read all the prophecies in Isaiah 53 that says that He will rise again that he will not be condemned to stay in the tomb. And he taught his disciples right over and over, on the third day I will rise, on the third day I will rise. And the irony is that the disciples aren't in the graveyard looking for him to come up out of the tomb. The chief priests and the Pharisees who are determined to kill this Jesus and to keep him dead and to crush his disciples are the ones who, who are looking for Him. Because they're afraid that what He said might be true. Because what He said is true. Try as they might, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the garden detailed the rock, the cave, the seal, does not keep Jesus in the tomb. And with a simple and powerful declaration, the angels look at Mary and the other Mary and say, do not be afraid. He is not here for he has risen as he said, just as he predicted. Another part of God's plan coming to fulfillment. At the same time, the resurrection was also powerful. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. And again, you need to be in Sunday school. Just, you need to be in Sunday school. It says there was an earthquake. I think in the, the Sunday school literature, it said a violent earthquake. And other translations say there was a, a great earthquake. And sometimes you just, God shows you different details that you might have missed before. But there was. There was a, an earthquake. An angel descends. A stone is rolled back. That's power. The resurrection was so powerful. Look at this. This is great. It says that the soldiers were like dead people in verse 4 of chapter 28. And the fear of the guards trembled and became like dead men. Isn't that ironic? They're laying out like they're dead while the one who is supposed to be dead is alive. Because there is power in the resurrection. There is power in the resurrection in Jesus coming back to life because we know right we know dead people don't come back to life. full disclosure I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV right That's an old reference some of you got it some of you don't remember All right but but we we know dead people don't come back to life. I mean I know we have, uh, people will have a heart attack and through CPR and, or defibrillator, which is why I'm not a doctor, I can't say it. So a person can have a heart attack and, and through those life-saving measures, we will say they have been brought back to life. Right? I read an article where the doctor said, while the person was technically dead, and I, I, I get what they're saying. However, you and I know the difference between technically dead and dead. <laughs> Right? We, we, we know what dead looks like, factually and experientially. We know it, that when someone dies, there is no amount of power, there is no amount of medical knowledge that can bring that person back from the dead. It just doesn't exist. Now, leave it to man to try to find a way to make it exist, right? Right? We don't like death. We want to avoid it at all costs, whether it is exercise, diet, food, medicine. I mean, there's a whole industry. Look, just think about how many industries is a, are, are exist to keep you from dying. Even to the point of you can be cryonically frozen. And I read an article, and this, this was like on this Discovery magazine, so this isn't some obscure journal, and this was from last year, titled will cryonically frozen bodies ever be brought back to life? It took me about four and a half minutes to read the article. They just needed one word. No. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's all they needed. You know, they tried to make it sound better. We don't have the power yet. I got news for you. You're not ever going to have the power. And I'm not talking about all the medical issues that would sur- surround a body that's been frozen for hundreds of years you're not going to have the power to bring someone back from the dead. Which is all the more amazing when we come to the resurrection and see that Jesus is alive because it doesn't happen. Yet Jesus said this is exactly what would happen because He has the power to do it. John 10, 17-18 For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Jesus says, I have the power to do this. Now, when you read that from John 10, did you notice anything interesting about that statement? If you really think about it, we can do half of that statement, can't we? Right? Jesus says, I have the power to lay down my life. We have the power to lay down our own lives, don't we? We have that control. The problem is, we don't have the power of the second part. You may choose to lay down your life for a loved one. Uh, You you, you read the stories of people jumping in front of cars. You read the stories of people sheltering their loved ones in in a shooting or something where they die. and, And they willingly laid down their lives to protect somebody that they loved. And we're amazed. We read those stories, we weep, and we cry. Because we know they can't bring their lives up again. They don't have that power. Yet Jesus says He does. And it makes sense that Jesus has the power to do this because we have been told over over and over and over and over and over and over again by His very lips. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In me is life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is life. He is life. And since he is life and he is the embodiment of life, he has the power to bring himself back from the dead, to raise himself up. All the power in the world then and all the power in the world now can't bring somebody back from the dead but Jesus demonstrated his power over life and death and the power of the resurrection when he came out of the tomb the resurrection is also personal when we read these accounts we're told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who was probably the Mary of James and Joseph would be the other Mary because we we see her in verse 58 of Matthew 27 go to the tomb and they arrived there, and, and they are filled with fear, right? When they arrived there in verse 2, there was an earthquake, There is an angel, and, and it says he was, looked like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. I always have to remind you, angels do not look like the little fat cherubs on Hallmark greeting cards. If you were to see an angel in all the angel's glory, you would be afraid, I would be afraid, we would be afraid. We're not going to go, oh, how cute. Let me pinch pinch your little cheeks. Okay? They are afraid. They are fearful of what is happening. And the angel looks at them and says, hey, do not be afraid. He is not here. He, he He is risen. He is risen. So what you're seeing is not a fearful event, but a wonderful, powerful, joyous event because he is alive. Now go tell the other disciples. And I love this. I love this. Go tell the other disciples. So they departed quickly. Man, go tell the disciples. Well, are you sure? Can I look? Can I see what's happening? I want to make sure that my story... Go. They left. They they immediately obeyed. They immediately... Think about that. For the past two chapters... We have seen sign after sign after sign after sign, haven't we? We saw the chief priests and the Pharisees look up at Jesus and say, if you could come down off the cross, if we could see one more sign, one more sign, we would believe. And they saw another sign and they didn't believe. They see a resurrection, they don't believe. And here are the women. Here is Mary and the other Mary who see everything and they believe. They understand and they immediately depart because the resurrection is already personally impacting them. They, they see it, they know it, they feel it, they understand. And they're going to go tell the other disciples. And so they immediately, they, they leave and they're going down the road. They're on their way. And then all of a sudden, and this is another one of those things where Matthew quickly grabs our attention and then just understates what happens. He says in verse nine, and behold, okay, that means pay attention. Hey, look at what's about to happen. So, right, he's, he's got you ready. Jesus met with them and basically said, hi. I mean, that's what it is. I, I mean, that's, it, it's just, it's, it's just a hi. I, I mean, and when I read that and I started thinking about this, I, I just started having this imaginary conversation between me and Jesus Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. I did. And so I, I'm imagining, okay, let's, let's imagine that, that I wasn't like one of the disciples running, hiding, and cowering. I was, I was, I was bold and, and brave like the women and went to the tomb because I understood what Jesus said. And, and I followed the angel's advice, and I'm going down the street, and all of a sudden Jesus just appears before me and goes, Hi. And, and this, this is what started running through my mind. Hi. Hi. You're, you're supposed you're supposed to be dead. I mean, I, I, I saw you on the cross. I saw you put in the tomb. I'm going to go tell the others that you're not there. And, and did you know that they set a guard and there was wax on the, on the stone? And, and you, you know, what what are you doing here? You know, i I, I got to go tell the Hi. You, you know, it's just, what would you say? <laughs> what, what, what would you say? And I, and I tried to play that out. Right? What would happen if Jesus just showed up right here in Red Bank and, well, We'd know that we're about to go to heaven. Other than that, you know, what, what, what would you say? Jesus, hi. That's tough, <laughs> right? We, we have all these wonderful things that we, we would like to think that we would do. <laughs> right? The women, though, what do the women do? What do they do? It says as soon as they see him, he, they fall, they take hold of his feet, And they worship. Because this is is personal to them. The resurrection has personally affected them. And they're seeing their risen Lord and Savior. And it drives them to worship. Now, we don't know what they said. We don't know how they worshiped. But they worshiped, believing that He has risen indeed. Indeed. the resurrection affected them personally. And it solidifies the truth that Jesus has been teaching them. That in three days, I will rise again. I keep quoting this, but it's important. He was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. They saw the delivered up for our sins when they looked on the cross. They saw the delivered up for my sins when they helped put him in the tomb. They saw Delivered up when the tomb was sealed, and now they're seeing the other part of that sentence. He's been raised for my justification. That in Him now I have salvation. And that drives them to worship because it affects them personally. And it affects us personally today as well. Right? We understand this. And and this is part of Baptist. Teaching that it is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning two things. One, it's personal between you and Him, that you have to come to save in faith in Him. And two, that it's personal, meaning just because you're in a church doesn't automatically mean that you are in Christ. It's personal as Jesus comes up from the tomb on the third day in great power, He makes it salvation available for us personally to impact us and change our lives forever. So not only are we saved for all eternity, but then as we go and read in Romans, we are now being transformed continually by the renewing of our minds. It is personally affecting us every single day. The resurrection should change us each and every day. Question in Sunday school. Have I mentioned you ought to be in Sunday school? When did you come to know the truth of the resurrection? And it was a great moment because we all just stared at each other. Because we, we wanted to answer the question correctly at the same time. It's kind of a, it's a difficult question. Until Alana spoke up, and, and I think everybody agreed with her answer. was like... Well, we were taught it, and we knew it, and through, as we grow, Jesus just solidifies it in our hearts to know that it is true. Over and over and over. And, so, what, and I say that because the resurrection, yes, happened in a period of time. It happened in history and is a historical event. But it has the power to affect us personally even today. It continues to impact us. It's not just that we are saved through the power of the resurrection. We are then transformed and we grow because of the power of the resurrection. It impacts us personally and the way we live our lives as a believer in Jesus Christ. And it impacts the women. It drives them to worship. At the very least, it should drive us to worship. It should then just drive us to conform to be more like Christ. Because it is a, it's personal, right? Say it with me again. He was delivered up for our sins. He was raised for our justification. It is personal. But then finally, it is purposeful. It is purposeful. If you go down to the end of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we see that Jesus appears a couple weeks later, to the disciples, some saw in worship, but some doubted. It's just, uh, and before you shake your head, put yourself in there as well. Right, we keep going, what else do they want to see? What else do they want to know? They're, they're, they're hesitant. This, this is probably, honestly, more like they don't know how to react. Right? Again, if Jesus appeared to us today, how would we react? It's not that we would doubt, but we would be unsure perhaps how to and so he looks at them, and he commissions them. He commissions them. He gives them purpose. He says, see, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. All authority. Right? He has now the authority to forgive our sins. He has the authority to restore our relationship to God through his death and resurrection. He has that authority. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, this is what I want you to do because I have that authority. I want you now to go, therefore, based on the authority that I have, I am telling you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. there's, There's the purpose. Go make disciples. Go tell other people about me so that they will come to know me as Lord and Savior and they will be my disciples. Go expand the kingdom of God because I have the authority and I'm telling you now to go in my authority. Go in the power that I give you. The power is not ours. The power is His. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. See, the gospel is his power. And what he does is he tells us, hey, look, I'm commissioning you to go. You just need to go. Go, go, go spread the gospel. Go tell them that I, was, I, I lived the perfect life. I died for their sins. I was raised on the third day so that they might be saved. Go tell them. Go tell them. Go make disciples. And just, just a little side note that just kind of crossed my mind here. Do you see it, say, it doesn't say go teach some doctrine. And again, if you've been, if you joined us on Wednesday nights, you know I got this thing for doctrine. I like doctrine. You should like doctrine. You should know doctrine. It's not a call to go tell them and explain to them every aspect of the Bible. All it says is go make disciples. What do they know? They know that he was alive, he's dead, he's alive again, and because of that, they're saved. Go tell them that truth. Tell them that. Baptize them just as you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit because I have given you the authority to do that. And while I have given you the authority and you have the power to do that, he then makes it personal again, doesn't he? He goes, as you go, I am with you. Well, how long are you going to be with me? To the end of the age. Not just now, not just the here and now. He's with us now, but He's going to be with us for all eternity because the glorious part of the gospel is our life doesn't end here. If it ended in the cemetery, we're sad, pitiful people. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. It doesn't end there. He is there with us for the end. Of the age was uh, this just crossed my mind? I hope my family will allow me to share this. This morning we went out and we put flowers on my mother-in-law's tomb, and I looked down and I thought, "Has it really been five years?" Cause time has a way of doing that. And just as I was reading this right now, I mean, it just literally came to me. She's already, Sue is already experiencing that truth. She is already experiencing that she is with him until the end of the age. For all of you who have loved ones who are buried in that cemetery, who know Christ as Lord and Savior, they are already experiencing the promise that he is with them to the end of the age. It is the great hope that we have, it is the only hope that we have, it is the only hope that the world has that Christ rose again on the third day so that he will be their Lord and Savior for all eternity. But until the day that we are in the cemetery ourselves, we have the purpose to go and make disciples. And we go in His power and we go knowing that He is with us. And then one day we will understand that in the beautiful fullness and perfection of the gospel and of heaven. So that's what we do. That is our purpose. That is the purpose of Red Bank. That is your purpose to go and make disciples in the power of Jesus, knowing that He is with you. And I want to end this morning by returning to that article just for a moment on cryonics. And I want to quote to you the very last paragraph. And it's a quote from a man who signed up for cryonic preservation along with his wife and his sons. And I want you to listen closely because as I was listening, as I was reading that paragraph, something just jumped out to me. It came close to yelling at my computer. This is the quote. It's a couple sentences, but listen. You have nothing to lose, everything to gain, other than some life insurance money. And for me, it's worth it. It gives me a peace of mind. Even if it doesn't work, we're still advancing science, figuring out what doesn't work. And if it does work, oh my God, we just stumbled across a cure for death. At least temporarily. Somebody got it. In the very sentence where he is placing all his hope in an unproven science, he goes, But, oh my God, yes, there's your answer. Because the cure for death is not being frozen. The cure for death is Christ. And it's not temporarily cure; It's a permanent, everlasting cure. And they couldn't even see it in the article. They couldn't even see it. He calls on the name of the one that could give him everything that he wants. And he missed it. This morning, I hope you do not miss it, because it is through the power of the resurrection that you can know Christ now and for all eternity. Because when He came up from the grave, He He secured our death, or secured the cure for our death, so that one day, right, one day, one day, we will see Him in all His glory, not temporarily but forever and ever. He's given us the cure. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.